And welcome to Slasher Street Podcast. My name is Ryan Devlin and thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a horror movie podcast where each episode I will be reviewing and discussing in detail a different horror movie from our epic collection here at the house. Just one man sitting on his own talking about his love of horror films and I hope you're all having an awesome week and thank you for joining me now. Um, bit of general housekeeping before we get into this week's episode because I've had it's been quite an exciting week in my life, um, and I'm actually recording this episode. It's Thursday, the twenty eighth of January. Uh, I recorded last week's podcast only on Saturday, gone, uh, and I completely forgot to say this bit of news on the podcast. And I thought, why didn't I mention it? It was probably because I was so excited to talk about Sleepaway Camp 2. And if you haven't checked that out, make sure to go and check that episode out. One of my all-time favourite slasher movies. Go and check it out, last week's episode, Sleepaway Camp 2. But anyway, because I was so excited to talk about Sleepaway Camp 2, I completely forgot to share my pretty exciting news. Uh, And it's news that, you know, the whole world is experiencing right now. And that is because in my real life, in my day job, I actually work for the NHS. So, I managed to get my COVID vaccine last week. So, I am super, super chuffed, super, super excited because it is the first step, as I've been saying on this podcast, it is the first step back to normal life, back to gigs, back to wrestling shows, back to football matches, back to the cinema, back to pubs, back to conventions. It's the first step in this long road back to our normal lives, and I'm so excited. Uh, So I just wanted to share that exciting bit of news on the podcast this week, because, yeah, um, hopefully some of you guys managed to get yours done as well. And really, over the course of the next, I don't know, six months to nine months, I don't know how long it's going to take, but hopefully we'll soon get our lives back on track. And it's just super, super exciting times now, because the... We feel like we can actually see that light at the end of the tunnel in this shit show of the past 12 months. It's slowly coming to an end, slowly but surely. So, yeah, very exciting stuff. I just wanted to share that with you guys this week and hopefully, you know, give you guys a bit of something to uh, to uh, look forward to and everything, so in your normal lives as well. So, anyway, without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode because this is going to be an absolute doozy. Now, if you follow us on Facebook, Slash Street Podcast on Facebook, you'll know exactly what movie I'm talking about. Well, you'll know because of the, uh, you know, the giveaway, the title of this episode. But last week, I wasn't sure what movie I wanted to do this week. So I left it completely open-ended and just thought, whatever I fancy watching this week, that's what we're going to watch. And that's what we're going to review. Uh, so this week on the show, we're going to be talking about 1987's slasher, comedy, horror, whatever you want to call this movie, Doom Asylum. Now, um, I don't know why I do this to <laughs> 
<laughs> Why am I doing this to myself? Uh, earlier this week, I really questioned my mental capacity. It could be because I've had the COVID vaccine. Who knows? My, my mind has just turned to mush. <laughs> it's like, do you know what you really want to watch this week, Ryan? Doom Asylum. Now, um, I don't know why. Um, because I've got a ton of awesome movies at this house and I have obviously Shudder, I have Prime, I have Netflix so I'm not short of movies that I could watch this week but for some reason I don't know whether it was just because of the kind of week I'm having or what, but I just had this real urge to watch Doom Asylum. Now I've I've had Doom Asylum on Blu-ray for a little while now and I've only watched it once but for some reason this week I just thought, you know what? Let's watch Doom Asylum. Let's get it done uh, on the podcast and just, you know, talk about it for an hour or so. No idea why. No idea what came over me. Um, It just happened. And here we are. We're going to be talking about really one of the most ridiculous movies that you could ever watch. It's complete B-movie trash, Doom Asylum. But, um... Yeah, we're going to have fun with this one. We're going to have fun with this. So, um, Doom Asylum is... A movie. Um, and yeah, that pretty much sums up this episode. Thank you very much for joining me, everyone. So, <laughs> um, it's it's really difficult to talk about this one. It's, uh, let, it, it's one of those movies that falls into it's so, so bad that it's good category. And this isn't just so, so bad. This movie is terrible. But um, it's terrible on purpose so it's not trying to be a shy it's not trying to be like the shining or the shawshank redemption or or anything like that these big you know deep movies it's not trying to be anything like that this movie knows its place it knows it's complete trash it knows it's not very good and it just excels at the parts that it is which is just exit it's just a trash movie now that being said that being said, like I say, this is only the second time I have actually watched this movie. And i got to admit, I have to get it out there straight away. Something I didn't expect when I watched this movie last night. Uh, it was, it's probably been five months since we watched this movie. Maybe six months even. It was a long, long time ago. Oh, it could have been longer than that. It could have been nearly a year ago that I got this, um, this on Blu-ray. I watched it for the first time. I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. But I got to say, on this watch, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that I'm a very, very optimistic, happy person. And even with poor movies, I can see the good side of this. And yeah, it happened. It happened. Something I never thought would happen with this movie. I really enjoyed this second watch. For the most part, let's just put that out there now. There are parts of this movie that I hate, and we're going to talk about them. Um, But yeah, I don't know why it was. I don't know how it happened. Because I remember this movie, when I watched it for the first time, maybe 10, 10 months ago. I remember thinking, this was horrendous. And I thought, if I never have to watch this movie again then that's fine. I wouldn't be bothered at all. And I don't know what it was, whether I just went into it originally with too high of expectations for the first time watch, um, because I went into it not knowing really anything about the movie, just to the fact that it was called Doom Asylum. Um, 
And maybe I just went into it with too high of expectations. And whether this time, you know, I was watching it whilst having a few beers, um, I was, you know, maybe a little bit tipsy, whatever it was, I, for the most part, thoroughly enjoyed this watch. Now, that being said, in no way am I saying this is a good movie. Absolutely not. It's, as I said at the start, it's a well-known bad, bad B-movie trash movie. But, as I said, it's very much intentional. And the movie makers didn't go into this thinking they were making, as I said, a Shining or Shawshank Redemption. They were going into this knowing they were making a super, super low-budget slapstick, I suppose we're going to call it slapstick, slasher movie in the mid to late 80s. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. It knows its place. And it's not trying to be something it's not. Uh, And for that reason, on this viewing, I got it. And I totally appreciate what it is. And I think going into this movie, knowing it's a bad movie, knowing it's trash, is the way you have to approach this movie. Don't go into it thinking you're seeing... Don't go even into it thinking you're seeing an awesome slasher movie. Because for the most part, you're not. There's some good kills. But for the most part, you're going to watch this movie and think, what am I watching this for? If you go into it with those expectations, if you go into it with the expectations that I had on this second watch, which was very low expectations, you will walk away thinking, do you know what? That was pretty fun. It wasn't too bad at all. And I think you will definitely find enjoyment out of this movie. Um, It's a movie that really is designed to be watched with a group of friends on a Saturday night when you just want to put something on that's funny or just something to watch in the background. If you're at a, a friend's house and you're having like a case of beers or you're getting super high, <laughs> like, this is the movie for that situation. And it really fits in, in that situation. It's not something that you're probably going to want to watch with, say, your wife who wants to watch something, you know, you really want to get into something and really want to engross yourself in the story and the amazing, you know, special effects and, you know, have this big blockbuster night in with popcorn and, you know turn down the lights, get it on the 60-inch plasma. This isn't the movie for that. But it has its place, and its place is to be watched by slasher movie fans like myself who just want to tick it off their bucket list. But it's also in a place that you can watch easily and comfortably with your friends, watch it whilst you're getting high, watch it whilst you're having a load of beers, perfect movie perfect situation for that now one thing i just want to talk about real quick and i actually think it's a a bit of a downside of this movie is the cover art now i'm not so just to kind of clarify here i have the arrow blu-ray of this DV of this of this Blu-ray of this movie. Uh, I'm holding it right now in my hands, so I really wish I had a camera. But if you just Google, so meta, you know, really, you're here with me right now. We're pretending we're on film. Go and Google Doom Asylum um, Arrow Blu-ray. You'll be able to see what I'm talking about. And this is a issue that I sometimes have with Arrow. Don't get me wrong, Arrow are fucking amazing. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know how much of a fan I am of Arrow Blu-rays. I just think they're incredible. I think the they take movies like this, which were made on super low budgets, and, 
you know, probably the original cut looks absolutely terrible if you watched what whatever they picked up. They clean it up like it was brought out yesterday. They do incredible stuff. But one thing they do is they then give it brand new cover art, which gives off the impression it's a different movie to what it is. So if you look at this cover art, you'd think, fucking hell. So like I did the first time, you'd think, fucking hell, this looks incredible. It look You've got like this guy who's horribly disfigured in this abandoned looking asylum. You have this power drill and although this scene does happen in the movie exactly like is on the front cover here it's not like this cover and in fact if you open up the blu-ray i don't know if you can hear me open it there um because the thing is you have to buy this blu-ray to get to this point because it comes all you know nicely wrapped and everything it's brand new if you open this up you'll be able to see the original VHS cover out, which is one of the things that Arrow do, is they have the the brand new slip cover on the front, which has their original artwork, which really sells the film, thinking this is going to be amazing. And then you open it up, and then you see the original VHS artwork, which makes this film look exactly what it is. Now, if I saw the original VHS cover art on the front. I would have probably still bought it, bear, bear in mind, because it looks super cheesy. It looks trashy. It looks, you know, really something that's up my alley because I love trashy, you know, cheesy films. But had I seen this first, I'd have gone, okay, I know exactly what kind of movie I'm going to watch here. Whereas if you base it off the external cover which is what you see in the store you th- you think you are in for a much different movie than you are i'm kind of going off on a bit too long there on that but that's one thing i have a downside of um arrow is people would look at that cover and they would go into this movie thinking they're going to see a kind of nightmare on elm street esque movie uh with great special effects and all this kind of shit and that's just not the case so i feel like sometimes arrow unfortunately even though they do amazing cover art can sometimes not mislead but give people unrealistic expectations of what they're going to see and i feel like doom asylum unfortunately goes down that route because a lot of people a lot of reviews i've seen for this movie People kind of think, oh, well, I kind of thought... People are thinking they're going to watch something that they're not. Because I don't think this movie got, like, a DVD release in the UK, so... Or much DVD release at all in the world. So this, for a lot of people, is the first time they're going to watch this movie or really have heard of this movie. And, yeah, I think it just doesn't really sell it correctly. And I feel like that's a lot of people's problems when they... When they buy it and then they go on youtube and then they review it and all that kind of stuff they are misled into thinking it's going to be something it's not so that's why again i feel like on this second viewing i enjoyed it more because i knew what to expect going into it i knew it wasn't going to be good um but i enjoyed it a lot more because of that fact um so 
Okay, so I kind of talked a bit much about that. So let's move on. Um, let's move on to the next bit, which is the makeup special effects of this movie. As you can see, I'm not going to spoilers here yet. Uh, I've kind of tried to change the format of the show slightly, where we have this kind of uh, spoiler-free discussion first, and then we will be going into the blow-by-blow, blow, which is the spoiler stuff. So kind of doing well so far uh, i'm really bad for spoilers if you've never listened to this podcast before um <clears throat> so let's talk the special effects i say special effects makeup well we'll see uh, some are good some are actually really good and actually again on the second viewing i was like damn i didn't notice couldn't remember this kill and i was like damn that was good but for the most part it's terrible such as the makeup on mitch who is our killer in this movie he um is this horribly disfigured person and like he is clearly wearing a mask it's not even like prosthetic makeup or anything like that he's wearing like a what looks like someone had created a store-bought mask <laughs> it looks awful you can see the outline of the mask on his skin and there is a couple of scenes in this movie where he actually has he picks a couple of people up by their necks uh, and because he's wearing this lab coat, as you do, if you pick someone up with your with your hands and in the air, the lab coat drops down. And he's got these gloves on because he's horribly disfigured. His hands are disfigured, and he um, you can see the edge of the gloves as if he's wearing a kid's Halloween costume. It's super super bad. Like I just cringed the first time I saw it. Um, however. And again, I don't know whether it's just because I took more time watching this last night and I took a bit more time with the special features last night. There is an interview on this Blu-ray. By the way, I know I'm not really selling this movie very well right now for people who have never seen it before, but I would definitely recommend picking up this Arrow Blu-ray. It's probably the only way you're going to watch this movie anyway. I don't think it's on Shudder or anything like that. Not that I could see. It's not on Prime or Netflix or anything like that. So really, this is the only way you can see this movie. I would definitely recommend picking this up because I think this is one of the cheaper Arrow Blu-rays. I got this for like £8. Um, so really cheap. About a year ago as well. And there's tons of special features on this thing, including an interview with the guy who did the special effects makeup. Let me see if I can find out his name. Uh, Vincent J. Gustini? Yeah, I think that's him. Um, it was a brand new interview just for this Arrow Blu-ray. And he goes into basically the all the details on how he created the gags. And even he said he hated the movie when it came out. But over the years, he's grown to love it because I think he went into this movie thinking he was going to be... Uh, from what he was saying, he basically thought it was going to be a serious movie. Uh, and as soon as he got there, he realised that the filmmakers and everyone was just really having fun with this and laughing at how bad the whole thing was. So again... The movie, the people who made the movie were laughing as they were making this movie about how bad it is. Um, and again, he wasn't too... He was going through basically all of the effects that he did and how he um, took a lot of inspiration from Tom Savini. And there's a couple of kills in this movie, which you'll get into, which are very Savini-esque. And yeah, I just... I feel like after watching the movie last night on there again and watching a few of the special features... 
and a few of the interviews, I just have this real found, like, love now for this movie in a weird way. Like, I'm probably not going to watch it again for a long time, but... Yeah, I mean, listening to the guy who did the effects and all the things he went through on the budget and how he made the effects and when you see them on the screen and all this, I just thought, damn, this is actually really... um, I'm going off on a tangent here completely, but yeah, I just feel like um, I have a newfound love for it and it was just really interesting to hear the guy who did the special effects, knowing how poor a lot of the effects were and him talking about them and it was just really really interesting but yeah as I say most of the kills are not great which we'll get into but the killer is the thing that really lets this movie down in what he looks like and I feel like even the special effects team were on the same kind of wavelength where they in hindsight weren't happy with how Mitch looked um which is a real shame because if they had perfected Mitch's look, if he was not clearly wearing a mask and clearly wearing these gloves, and they just fine-tuned that a little bit, but again, budget has a lot to do with it. If they just fine-tuned that a little bit, maybe people would have a better opinion of the movie. Uh, I think on Rotten Tomatoes has like 20% approval rate, so it's really low on Rotten Tomatoes. But yeah, I feel like, again, the special effects sometimes have let this movie down. Not so much the kills. Some of the kills are good, but definitely the look of Mitch, unfortunately. And um, one other major, major downside for this movie for me. We're going to get into fun stuff soon. I'm kind of shit on this thing. <laughs> but it's just the way... It's just such a, such a crazy... St- weird stupid movie man but one of the major downsides for me in this movie and i know it's a major downside for a lot of people who have seen this movie is the and this is kind of spoiler-esque but not really there is cutaways pretty much every 15 minutes to a black and white 1920s or 1930s sweeney todd movie that he's watching on vhs Bearing in mind, the movie itself is only 77 minutes long? 79 minutes long. So it's not even 80 minutes long, this movie. And 10 minutes of this movie is clips of this black and white movie that Mitch is watching in the basement of the the asylum. So that's a real shame. That is a real shame. So really, in terms of original movie making, original story, you're only getting probably just over an hour, which is really short. And on this watch, because I knew there was a lot of cutaways, and the cutaways don't even add anything to the story, which is really super annoying. So, I mean, if they were showing a black and white movie that had something to do with how the story was progressing, or if he was watching a black and white movie and getting inspiration for the next kill, you know, so he was watching Sweeney Todd kill someone in this black and white movie, uh, and then he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that to the next guy I see, then you can kind of put it all together and think, okay, but that's not the case. And unfortunately, unfortunately, they I feel like they only put this in there to up the runtime. It doesn't add anything. They kind of finished the film and were like, oh shit, we've only filmed like 65 minutes of stuff. Uh, we can't drag it out any longer. What are we going to do? Well, we'll put some clips of Sweeney Todd in there uh, and have Mitch just watch them in the basement. And there's other shots of Mitch kind of walking back and forward to his, like, 
underground layer if it is in the asylum on his way to con- continue watching Sweeney Todd and you're just like man why is this in here so really if you had those parts of him walking in the in the dungeon cellar area or the, the sewer area of the asylum and you had the runtime of the of the black and white clips you're probably only getting an hour of movie which is a real shame um and to be honest some of that hour does drag <laughs> so it's not like that hour is action-packed shit that's gotta be like oh yeah kill 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 shit's happening there is you know quite a bit of this that drags unfortunately which is a real shame but that is one of my massive massive pet peeves with this uh, particular movie jesus i've talked for nearly 25 minutes and i've not even got into the blow by blow of this movie <laughs> I um, was kind of thinking, I was wondering how long I could talk about Doom Asylum for in this podcast. And uh, I think this is going to be quite a lengthy one because, yeah, I, I have a lot to say on this movie, clearly. Um, I didn't realise I did, but clearly I do. So, <laughs> one of those things. Um, so, let's get into a little bit of information about the movie. So, um, the movie was released... Well, this is disputed, again, because on the back of the Arrow Blu-ray, it says it was released in 1987, but on IMDb, it said it was released in March 1988, so I don't know whether the Blu-ray co- the Blu-ray description here is saying that it was filmed in 1987 and then released in March 1988, whether it was released in a limited capacity in 1987 and then released, I don't know, on VHS in 1988. So that's really disputed as to what was actually when this movie was released. Um, The total budget of this movie was $90,000. So that is a super, super low budget. I mean, you can tell. You can tell this movie is super low budget when you watch it. But even in them days, even in 1987, um, or 1988, probably 1987 when it was being made, that was super, super low budget, guerrilla style shooting of movies, um, you know, B-movie, trashy kind of movies. There was probably one of these getting kind of made on street corners. And every fucking week, you know, with wannabe filmmakers, you know, no offence to the guy who made this movie. Uh, and it actually makes me wonder, like, how lucky Doom Asylum was uh, as we'll get into the cast. And I think one of the only reasons this got a Blu-ray release, I mean, I'm glad it did because I've, it's a, got a big cult following this movie. And I'm now part of that cult. I've actually ordered a Doom Asylum t-shirt. God knows why, uh, what was going through my head. I think it was last night as well. I'd finished watching the movie. I was watching the special features. You know, yeah, I was thinking, you know what I need in my life? A Doom Asylum t-shirt. <laughs> uh, so I got one off Redbubble, which is an awesome website. So if you can't find horror movies... I mean, I'm just what am I just talking shit now. But um, if you want a horror movie t-shirt and you can't find a movie merchandise store then just check it on red bull man because there is so many cool horror t-shirts on there for movies like this so if there is a t-shirt for doom asylum there is almost guaranteed to be a t-shirt for your favorite movie so go and check it out it's a really good place um anyway the movie was written and directed by richard friedman 
Uh, and I couldn't really see much of note that he did after this movie. I mean, they were probably bigger projects that he did, but nothing that I recognised. So, um, so for me, uh, Richard Friedman is known for doing Doom Asylum. <laughs> so, one of those things. But I must say again, speaking of the special features, there is an interview on here with uh, Ruth Collins, who plays Tina in this movie, and she's nothing but complimentary about Richard. Now, bear in mind, uh, Ruth Collins has been in a lot of horror movies, and well, quite a few horror movies, and she's been in, she's had a, made a pretty decent career for herself, and she was saying how good Richard was to work with and one of the best she'd worked with. So, you know, that's pretty good. Pretty good going for her. Pretty good. Now, let's get into this one. The movie stars. I can't believe how long we've been talking. Nearly half an hour. And I haven't said this yet. But let's get into it. The movie stars. Sex in the city. Or sex and the city, rather. Not sex in the city. Sex and the city's own. Kristen Davis as Jane. Um, who... This was actually her first movie. This was her first gig as an actress which is crazy now obviously Kristen Davis is most recognizably known uh for playing Charlotte in the massive tv series Sex and the City uh and you know the movies Sex and City 1, Sex and City 2 <laughs> don't I, I've I've seen them all you know my missus is a big Sex and the City fan um uh, what am I kidding I, I love Sex and the City as well of course I do it's I haven't seen it for a long time, but I remember for a short while I was pretty into that show. I don't know why, because I'm a heterosexual man, um, but for a long time I was pretty into that, and I really actually enjoyed both movies, so take that for what you will. Um, But it's crazy to see her in this, and um, they really sell the fact that she's in it. So even though this was her first movie, uh, and she obviously, this was way before Sex and the City. What was, when was Sex and the City? Like mid-90s did that start? Mid to late 90s, and then I think it ran for probably, what, 10 years? It was a huge thing. Um, But on the back of the Blu-ray, it even says, if you thought Sex and the City 2 was a stomach churner, you ain't seen, seen nothing yet. Long before playing one of Carrie Bradshaw's best gal pals, actress Kristen Davis found herself up against an altogether different kind of horror in 1987's Doom Asylum, a righteous mix of gore gags and uh, goth girls of galore. Uh, so really, this movie, I mean, I'm not saying that this is the only reason, but this is obviously a big, big sell factor for Arrow. The fact that a huge, huge star... Like, Kristen Davis is in this movie. It's her first movie. It's really marketable on that fact. It's the fucking first line on the blurb of the Blu-ray. So, you know, the fact that I actually think, although I just said, you know, probably in the mid to late 80s, films like this were getting made on every fucking street corner in every town. The reason Arrow's picked this up really was probably on the back of her being in the movie, which you know, is what it is, and I'm glad they picked it up, because I really now am a bit of a fan of this movie, in a weird way, but yeah, she is, and she's also on the cover art of this movie, you can't really tell it's her, but it is her character to kill, but yeah, so a huge 
huge star, like a massive, massive star. And I've said it many times on this show, it's just interesting, all the people who went on to have massive, massive careers, you know, like Jennifer Aniston, Johnny Depp, uh, all these kind of people who started their careers in these in these horror movies and went on to become massive, massive stars. Um, just because I know you're questioning it right now, I know you're sitting there saying, well, is, you know, what is your favourite character, Ryan, in Sex and the City? Um, and is without a doubt, um, <laughs> uh, without a doubt, uh, Samantha, obviously played by Kim Cattrall. I had to actually Google that there for a second because it has been a long time since I watched that programme, but I always remembered watching it with my missus and thinking... Yep, she's the best character, and she's the only real character. What am I talking about? We need to talk about Doom Asylum, man. This is going to be too long. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just always remember, like, Samantha... Th- I always thought Samantha was the only real character in the movie. Everybody else was just fake as fuck, white-ass, fucking, you know, middle-class, bitchy problems, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um privileged white people that's what second city is or for the most part <laughs> it's, it's white privilege for women uh anyway let's carry on uh patty mullen is in this uh movie she plays two characters in this she plays the mother and the daughter she plays kiki for the majority of the movie uh and she also plays kiki's mum in the prologue of the movie which we'll get to as well so she actually plays two characters obviously patty mully she's from she's a star in frankenhookers and she's been in a load of other stuff as well <clears throat> but most notably frankenhookers is her big thing you know probably on this as well uh also the movie stars ruth collins as tina william hay as mike kenny l price as dennis harrison white as darnell now out of all the other people in this movie who isn't Kristen davis and patty mullen uh harrison white is probably like the one who's done the best for himself out of all the people in this he's done a ton a ton of massive movies um just small roles don't get me wrong he's not like being in fucking starring roles or anything like that but you know he's been in a lot of movies like big big massive pictures um so he's made a career out of that so fair play to the guy really um and you know out of all of them really on his imd page imdb page rather he has easily the most amount of movies on there easily uh, and finally, we have Michael Rogan as Mitch, our mutated, disfigured killer, um, who does, you know, a pretty alright job. In fact, one thing, before we get into this blow-by-blow, blow, I want to talk about Mitch, the killer. Why does he have to do a pun after every single kill? We're kind of going to get into it when we talk about the movie, but... Literally, after every single kill, he comes up with the this pun and then does this kind of dastardly laugh. You know, he goes... <laughs> that kind of laugh. And I would be okay with that because this is meant to be a slasher, black comedy, whatever. It's meant to be a comedy movie. I would be okay with that if the puns were actually puns and if the puns were real, like, were actually funny. But they're just words. They're just sentences that he says and then laughs. And he, he like, sells them and puts them across as these 
hilarious puns. And it's one of those because you know that you're you have you're thinking I'm meant to laugh here. I'm meant to find this funny, but they're not funny. They make no sense whatsoever. And I was just like, what? Who the fuck wrote this? They're funny in the sense that they're not funny. So you're laughing at how terrible the pun is and how much it doesn't make any sense. You're not laughing at the pun. Like, it's just such weird... And there's a lot of that in this movie where you're laughing at, um, like, how bad the joke is rather than the actual joke. So maybe the joke is on me. Maybe that's the point. But the puns are terrible. (laughs) They're awful. Anyway, we've rambled on. I've actually gone a long time without even talking about much of the movie. So this is going to be a really fun one, man. This is going to be really good. So without any further ado, let's get into the blow-by-blow. I'm going to try and run through this as best I possibly can because, damn, this movie is mind-numbing in parts. But let's get into it. Let's talk 1988's Doom Asylum. So, the movie starts with, we see Mitch, and we see the, the, I don't actually remember her name, maybe I should have got that up, I can't remember now, but we see Mitch, who is our main character really in this movie, he's our killer, I don't know this point, and he's this big swanky lawyer who's just won five million dollars in this lawsuit, I don't know how he's won the, the money, because if he's a lawyer, then how would he... Is he representing himself and what? This movie is best to not ask questions about that. We just kind of have to take the fact that he's won $5 million and all life is good. He's got the dollar, he's got the girl. Life is good. And the woman's like, she's awful. Even though it's the same character, it's Patty Mullins, but it's the same same person. But yeah, she's like, I can't wait to send that little bitch to boarding school and all this. And I'm like, man, you are awful. You are an awful human being and uh, these two are like making out and they're drinking and they're speeding and <laughs> this this car crash oh this is a car crash of a movie but damn the way this happens you can see the van pulling coming up the road real slowly and they're speeding and then it's kind of like this Mr. Toad's Wild Ride crash, where if you've ever seen like the Wind in the Willows, the live action one, uh, Mr. Toad is like, I'm the, you know, he's driving, he's like, you can't stop me, I'm the wonderful Mr. Toad, and then he crashes his motor car, and it's like, you know, that's the only thing that's missing is the honk, it's like, it's like the most over-the-top Mr. Toad Wild Ride bloody car crash, it's just absolutely incredible and this is the first part of the movie where you think if you are going into this with a serious mind thinking yeah i'm gonna watch this movie it's gonna be really serious it's gonna be really good and you get to the about three minutes into the movie and you see what happens here you're like oh this is the you know so basically we see (laughs) it's like the the woman on the floor and her hand is in like the grass uh she's put her hand in grass it's covered up with like a grassy pile and then mitch like lie like kind of comes over and uh pulls out this fake hand from the grass even though you can see her hand is under the grass you're like oh my god the the effects the effects how did how could they it's like they are like hiding in plain sight it's like how could you how did you pull off this magic trick effect (laughs) It's just absolutely hilarious. And <clears throat> the weird thing is, 
I mean, how did the hand fall off, for one? How did the woman's hand fall off in this car accident? Because she, she was like, where would the hand fall? It's clear cut. I don't know. Maybe it could. I don't know. But what a strange thing to have your hand cut off. And she, like, dies and... Um, <laughs> She's like, I'm going to a better place, Mitch. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Now, we see Mitch after this car crash, and he's only literally got a tiny bit of blood on his head. Like, there is nothing wrong with him. Like, he's crawling, he's talking, he's pulling hands out of the grass. There is nothing wrong with this guy. And then we get to his autopsy, which presumably was that day or the next day. It can't have been that long, like, after the fact. And he's literally so disfigured. He's got his mask on. He he looks like, he looks like um, Frank, he looks like he's wearing a mask of Frank from Hellraiser (laughs) when he's got no skin. I was like, what the hell? He was fine. Like, he, he, we crashed the car. And he had a little bit of blood on him. And now for somehow, on his way to the hospital, where he's pronounced dead and now in the mortuary, he's like horribly disfigured and he's like blood everywhere. And I'm like, did he have another car crash? Like, did he get back in another car and crash that one as well? It was just like, what the hell happened to this guy on the way to the hospital? Because he was fine. And now he looks like this. He was fine after the car accident. So I was just like, oh my goodness. And uh, one of the coroners, they, like, uh, can't handle it. They're, like, being sick. The other one's eating a big sandwich. There's always a coroner. Or not a... Is it a coroner? Yeah, like, that's what... I was going to say mortician, but, yeah, coroner. There's always a coroner in these movies eating a giant sandwich, dripping it all over a dead body. I don't care what movie it is. If you get to a coroner's office and you see a dead body in a 80s or 90s slasher movie, you can guarantee... The coroner will be eating a giant sandwich whilst he's doing the post-mortem on some poor fella every single time. Um, now, this is actually probably uh, probably the second best um, makeup job of the movie is when Mitch wakes up and we see his face is kind of still bleeding from the... His face is bleeding um he, he's got kind of you know a few cuts on his chest and he actually looks pretty good you can see the outline of the mask as i said earlier you can see it clear as day but in terms of how mitch looks as the killer this is probably the freshest and best he looks in the whole movie after this i suppose because it's set 10 years later he looks a bit dried up he lo- doesn't look great after this but this actual makeup job doesn't look bad. I'll be honest. It doesn't look bad, even though he's wearing like these sausages for necklace. He's wearing a sausage necklace, man. <laughs> like what the fuck? Um, and he's like, "Where's Judy? Where's Judy?" And he's like, "Yo, oh, your wife did it. Your wife didn't make it. You know, your wife didn't make it." He kills these two coroners. Uh, although, like, he kills one of the coroners. So he kills one of them who looks pretty worried. He's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy's alive. And then the other guy, who actually looks like Jeff Goldblum, uh, he's the one eating the giant sandwich. He has his sunglasses on. He's like, life finds a way, you know? <laughs> and then he's, like, watching him kill his colleague. He's seen this guy come back to life. Then he sees him kill his colleague. And uh, he just doesn't do anything, he just stands there, he's like, uh, my wife might never do something here, and then opening credits, and the opening credits is weird, because it's in a small kind of, um, um, 
like a 12 by 8 kind of box, you know, rather than a full HD, full widescreen picture. And it's weird because I don't know why, whether it was, whether Arrow didn't get the hands on the original, like some, they couldn't clean the credits up. Very weird because I, like, even if like they put it in the full screen and it wasn't, and it didn't look great, I still wouldn't really care because nothing really happens. It's just the, it's just the opening credits. But yeah, it was weird. Um, And then we go back and then, it's full frame again, so it was very strange, very strange. Um, <clears throat> and then we jump 10 years into the future, so I kind of can see why Mitch maybe looks a bit dried up, because it's been 10 years up to this point. So, you know, maybe, you know, he's cleaned himself up, and he does use anesthesia, and he has wipes and everything at the uh, san- at the asylum and all this kind of stuff. So you maybe, 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 maybe that's why but still the makeup job doesn't look good for the rest of the movie and we get introduced to the kids of the movie again like the back of this movie i'm kind of always referring to like how this is but this isn't just arrow who wrote this this is actually the synopsis of the movie when it says when a group of horny teens wide up on the grounds of a creepy abandoned asylum like these teens aren't very horny like for a slasher movie in the 80s these are actually pretty refrained kids i mean yeah, I don't think they're horny at all. Even though they're wearing, like, bikinis and stuff, well, the two girls, um, I don't think they're, like, super horny or compa- they don't have sex or anything, so not much nudity from them either. So, hmm, bit of a strange one. And, uh, yeah, so they, they're all driving. They're driving to the insane asylum for a picnic for some reason. <laughs> like, they drink beer and have a picnic. Uh, and people have been going missing there. People have been, you know, the stories of a man killing people in the asylum. So... What I don't get as well is why is nobody going... Because Mitch isn't, like, hiding the fact that he's there. So if people have been going missing in this asylum or people have been dying in there, are the police not going to do anything? Like, it's been 10 years. And also, one big thing of this movie... I know I'm kind of going thinking too much about it, but the whole point of this story that we see here is that Kiki is the daughter of Mitch's girlfriend who dies at the start of the movie. And he thinks that Kiki is his, like, girlfriend. He doesn't realise that it's the daughter, because it's the same person playing the two different characters. So he doesn't realise that it's the daughter. He actually thinks it's her. So, coming to the end of the movie, we're kind of jumping ahead. (laughs) He kind of says, like, oh, I did it all for you, I did it all for you. It's like, well, I can kind of understand why you did this movie worth of killings, but if people have been going missing and people have been dying for 10 years, why have you killed those people? Like, because Kiki wasn't with those people. Like, so you can live in the insane asylum on your own? Like, what? Like, he obviously he escaped the hospital to go there. So, oh, I don't know. It's It seems like just good, I don't know, just very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Convenient, um, where, you know, like, oh yeah, so now she's gone back to the asylum, now she's there, now we're killing people, but like, what happened in that 10 years period? Because he's obviously been killing people, because he's fucking insane, and they know the stories, so, very strange. Speaking of convenience, speaking of convenience, uh, they stop the car on the way to the insane asylum, and they happen to pass the tree where Kiki's mum died, which we saw in the car crash at the start of the movie. And um, they get there, and her and Mike, who's her boyfriend, go to check out the exact spot where her mother died. And would you believe, 
10 years on from this mur- from the m- murder from her dying her mirror is still there just placed on the grass just there nicely on the grass it's like talk about that's my mother's mirror oh my god it's like it's been 10 years and it looks like it looks like it hasn't worn a, do you think 10 years sitting on a bit of grass with rain snow sun that motherfucker would have been rusty as hell but no it's like gold and brown it's like okay and um the dialogue in this movie is so weird so these people are shitty kids like they're not really that likable characters unfortunately darnell's probably the most likable character because he's like this campy upbeat you know cool uh jazzy kind of guy um but the rest of them are pretty much assholes to each other and i don't think their acting abilities does them any favors because none of them are putting in i mean Kristen. You know, Christian Davis is actually not too bad, but none of them are put in an Oscar-worthy performances. And, uh, you know, they're all, like, on the car, like, saying, come on, I'm hungry. And then one, I think Christian Davis's character says, come on, she died ten years ago. Let's get a move on. It's like she literally only just got out the car. <laughs> this could be the first time that she's gone back to where... Because she's probably, presumably, 17 or 18 in this movie, the character um and so that means she was what like five like six seven when her mum died 10 years ago this could be the first time she's gone to this spot as an adult she's literally been there two minutes and the fucking friend's like come on she's dead already let's go like literally no remorse just complete shit uh so fucking so fucking dark so brutal but they go straight to it and the fact that she doesn't have a mum, this is really it's really sad doesn't have a mum. It's obviously affected her mentally. Uh, you know, you think people have daddy issues, but this woman has a mummy issue because she doesn't have a mum. And uh, the boyfriend, Mitch, who is terrible, like the actor is... Not Mitch, sorry, Mike. Mitch is the killer. Uh, sorry if I said Mitch before as well. Mike is Kiki's boyfriend. <laughs> and he's terrible like the actor is terrible the character is terrible the dialogue is terrible um and he basically says oh i wish i could be a mum you're his you're the boyfriend um you know and she goes oh well um maybe 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 you could be my mum and he's like oh yeah maybe i could maybe i could be a mum and it's like what how fucking weird and there's also another scene um earlier on uh, sorry, later on, where um, again, Kiki's calling now her boyfriend mum for some weird reason, and he finds a condom on the floor, what looks like a used condom, as if he was going to use it again. <laughs> and he says to Kiki, he's like, hey, um, what do you think? Maybe we should use this. And he's, she's like, oh, mom, that's incest. And I'm like, what the fuck's happening here? is is this incest is he do you think he's your mum? like are you that mentally tapped i mean this is the thing as well is the character of kiki is the final girl in this movie but she's really unlikable she's really stupid really unlikable and really in any other horror movie Kristen davis's character would be the one who survives because she's kind of like she's not a virgin but like character in the movie because the way she talks but she's like the academic one she's much more you know with it she's kind of trying to keep the group together so really she would be the final girl in most other 
movies of this type, whereas in this movie, for some reason, Kiki, who's this fucking brain-dead idiot... And that doesn't help the movie whatsoever at all because you've got no one to root for. You're kind of just thinking, Christ, will Mitch just fucking kill this bitch and we get it over with? Um, there is this punk band as well. There is this terrible, terrible punk band. Tina and the Tots, they're called, playing in the asylum. They are absolutely horrendous. I like heavy music. I like punk music. But this is i mean don't get me wrong like i actually know some some of my best friends are in grindcore bands for god's sake so don't tell me i don't have a fucking wide spectrum of music friends but this music this is like not even crust it's not grindcore it's not punk it's just noise like you could get more out, more of a tune out of grind corn, crusty grind, than you can this terrible, terrible fucking band. And where's the electric coming from? So I totally see in the movie that they are plugged into some sort of thing. They're playing the music on their speakers and on the decks and all that kind of stuff and the microphone. And Darnell goes in and unplugs the electric. They're plugged up to an electric thing in the asylum. This asylum looks like it's been abandoned for the best part of 10 years. Surely there is no electric running through this place? <laughs> They're plugged into the mains. I was like, what the hell? Like, who the fuck's paying for this electric bill? Um, and yeah, as I say, Daryl, oh, sorry, Darnell in this movie is very, very camp. Um, but he's straight. Like, it's very strange character because he's very much like a, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, very sassy and, you know, plays it very camp and the way he, like, dances and walks around and all this kind of stuff. It's very cool, very camp. Yeah, he's straight. It's like, I mean, I'm not saying that's not a problem, but it's just like the way he's playing the character versus the way the character's written seems very different so maybe he just has like a different idea for the character but yeah it was just very different to you know what i feel was written for the darnell character um dennis as well he's like the geeky character in this movie he reminds me of like a bit of a a rick moranis he actually looks like rick moranis quite a lot i mean he's not very good um not rick moranis rick moranis is fucking awful obviously not awful awesome jesus it's getting late i've been up since like half five this morning with my daughter so it's getting late but yeah rick moranis is awesome dennis reminds me of rick moranis and dennis isn't very good so hopefully i summed that up nicely then and uh another thing uh this is I, i like the singer in the punk band is tina um who we were talking about before who is played by Ruth Collins. Um, And there's an interview with Tina actually on that blue, uh, Ruth Collins on that uh, Blu-ray, which is pretty cool. But for some reason, every single time she says something, she laughs maniacally, like, ha, 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 like really over the top, maniacal laugh after everything she says. So not only have we got fucking Mike questioning himself after everything we've got kiki who can't bloody think for herself we have 
Darnell playing the wrong character that he was written for, and we have Dennis playing some sort of knockoff Rick Moranis. Um, we have the killer telling us puns every two minutes that aren't funny, and on top of that, we have the singer of this terrible punk band laughing maniacally after everything she says. It's just like this whole thing is just a recipe for disaster. Um, and Darnell, he has a, I don't know why I put a note down for this, but Darnell, he has a big gold chain with his name on it, very Mr. T-esque, very MC Hammer-esque, very cool, and he, this is the first kill uh, that we see in the asylum. Now, this was a real shame, because, as I say, Darnell, out of the five kids in the group, um, was probably the coolest one of the lot, like, he was probably the probably the best actor of them all maybe apart from Kristen davis uh and the best character without a doubt and he gets killed off like he literally walks into the asylum because he's looking for the drummer in the punk band who he kind of fancies who was a girl punk band and literally he just gets his head crushed with these giant pliers it's a pretty weak death um and like again the first pun from mitch this is actually the only one that kind of made sense and was half funny like and he basically says i hate rap music and uh and he says oh don't call me honey as if he was calling him honey he was trying to find the other girl and then he starts laughing and it's like <laughs> it's like it wasn't funny, but it was the only one who actually made sense. Um, now, uh, so again, Mitch in his spare time, in his chill time, watches these black and white horror movies in the basement. Um, we've talked about that already, but like, what what purpose does this bring to the fucking movie? None whatsoever. It's just poor, poor, poor. Um, we have as well, and I'm gonna. This is gonna sound very, very perverted. But I'll say it anyway, because, you know, we're talking about a cheesy slasher movie. Uh, We have um, Kristen Davis, and we also have Paddy Mullen, and they're, like, sunbathing in the the grounds of of the insane asylum. And more so Kristen Davis, and... You know, she's wearing this, like, swimsuit, even though they're not going swimming, and it is very revealing <laughs> like i believe shaved is the expression <laughs> it's like uh jim's dad for american pie um obviously i have to put that in there but yeah like the bikini is the, the, it's like a swimsuit it's very distracting because it pretty much goes right up there like this is almost like a outside camel toe like it's that small around that area <laughs> it's very distracting throughout the whole movie uh, because literally as soon as they get to the insane asylum like we get uh kiki and uh is it june or judy june i think joan one or two whatever Kristen davis's character is and they just wear the swimsuits the whole rest of the movie and uh, you're like oh my god like can we just move on to the next scene like all i'm looking at here is like fucking this you know obvious thing that i'm trying not to look at but it's just staring me right in the face the whole time not that i was complaining because christina davis looks phenomenal in this movie but hey that's just part of the uh the story of this movie for some reason hey why don't we just film you walking around an abandoned insane asylum in the daylight in your swimsuit for hours that's pretty much what the director went for here 
the keyboard player in the in the uh, in the band, she gets strangled next in the toilet. Again, this is a weird one because she's in the toilet. She hears the sound come from one of the cubicles, and she checks literally every other cubicle <laughs> apart from the one that Mitch is in, and then eventually opens that cubicle to find he's there, shock horror, and he just strangles her. It's like you could have easily escaped, and that's one thing as well. <laughs> one thing, another thing for this movie is. They can escape this insane asylum anytime they like, and yet they just seem to be walking around, almost like trying to purposely fall into Mitch's traps. Yet there is no traps. They're just terrible at walking around and trying to escape. They could literally, there's no windows in this place. They could just walk out the first floor window and run away. It's just like this most insane thing. And there's another scene later on in the movie, which we're going to talk about, which just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But, um, and this is the scene where you can see Mitch wearing his gloves. You can see the outline of the gloves. They look terrible. To the point where you're like, surely they knew this scene when they were filming it. You could see the gloves. Just take the gloves off and put some, you know, even if you just put some ham on his hands. Glued some ham to his hands and painted some of them green and grey. That would have been fine. But because you can see the gloves, it looks like a five-year-old's Halloween costume. You know when you, when you get like a little werewolf costume and you've got like the, the gloves that you wear to make it look like you've got werewolf hands? That's what this looks like. It looks so poor, man. So, so poor. And um, the kill's not actually too bad, though, because he's already filled the sink with acid. And he does like a Jason X style kill. Um, Jason X before Jason X existed. And he grabs this girl's head and he throws it into the acid. Melts her head. Uh, and then he she, he brings it back out. And it's a, it's a pretty cool effect actually. It's just like a dummy head. But it's got like blood pouring out. It's got the eyeballs melted. The hair's melted. It looks pretty damn good if you ask me. And for the budget, as I say... This kill doesn't look too bad because we see her head go in. We can see it getting melted. For what it is, it's pretty damn good, if you ask me. Um, and also, like in the scenes previous to this as well, she's saying like how uh, how left wing she is, how she's power to the people, how you know save the world kind of person. And yet, when she He's getting killed. She's like, I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. You know, it's like, come on. So like what you're preaching, like as if that's the reason why he's killing you. He's not. He's killing you because, I mean, could you look at him? He's fucking got a face melted. Um, But yeah, I was like, Jesus. So she like died a sellout, which is a real shame for her. There's another, <laughs> I keep saying, there's another scene. There's another scene. But it's just like one, like insane moment after another in this movie and there's this movie this part of the movie where dennis who is the rick moranis lookalike he is playing with his baseball cards and they put this fake wind noise through like as if like it's clearly not windy it's a sunny day there's no wind the trees aren't blowing but they put this wind like you know like this wind sound effect through and then, like, his car just goes flying away in the hot sun. <laughs> and he has to go running, uh, running, looking for his baseball trading card. And he's doing this commentary whilst he's looking for the card. It's absolutely terrible. You're like, why is this happening? Um, and 
Actually, this kill is probably the best kill of the movie, I would say. Quite easily the best kill of the movie, where um, Mitch comes up to da- uh, to uh, Dennis, so he's found his baseball card, and he gets a drill through the forehead on screen, 100% on screen, practical effect, blood coming down, looks fucking great. So, as I said, some of the effects in this movie are terrible, but this one is phenomenal. For a budget of $90,000 when they have to pay everyone, they got all the other shit going on, this kill was very, very well done, in my opinion. And yeah, it's, as I say, the best thing about it is on screen, it's practical, looks awesome. Um, and it, like when he's dying, he's like trying to say to Mitch, he's like, I'll give you some cards, I'll give you some of these cards, and he's riving them all off. And then the last thing he says is, Pete Rock! as he's getting drilled in the head i was like oh that's hilarious also we get a bit of a a mrs Voorhees moment in this movie because uh mitch has kept his dead girlfriend's hand that he found when she died 10 years ago so i actually thought that was a pretty good callback and he's got like this shrine to and it's again that's a savini style effect where tom savini had the the head and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, it wasn't Buzzy Tom's video, but in the Friday the 13th series, you know, I've got the, the Mrs. Voorhees head. And Mitch, he has this little shrine to his ex-girlfriend's hand because that's all he has left of her. And yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And it was a nice little moment in the movie. And um, i tell you what's not a nice moment in this movie is where Tina and Mike fight on the, on the roof of the fucking asylum this has got to be the worst movie fight i have ever seen in my life like it's awful like it's one of the worst choreographed things i've ever seen in my entire life like literally looks like they're about to have sex because she's just jumping on him like neither of them know what they're doing neither of them have probably any experience in in movie fighting or choreographed fighting clearly and they're just jumping on each other and it looks like she's basically jumping on him to bang him and my god it looks completely awful and it's it looks almost as if like they clearly miss each other. Like it's, It looks as though they have no idea what they're doing and almost as if they don't know they're being filmed. Um, there's a moment in the fight where the camera's on one of the girls from the band and in the background, um, Tina and Mike are fighting and it's like they stop, look at the camera and think, oh shit, the scene's still going on. Shit. And he's like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Like, jump on me. And let's carry on. It's awful. Like, it looks terrible. Um, And Tina wins. She wins the most awkward fight you'll ever see. And Mike ends up hanging off the edge of the asylum. And Kiki and Jane are just, like, like, on the grass looking up. And they're like, hey, is that mom? Is that mom up there? Still calling him mom. And he's, like, five stories up in the air, hanging on by his fingertips. And uh, it's like... Oh, yeah, that is mom. I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he won't fall. It's like, you sure he won't fall? If he falls, he dies. And they're just like, eh, well, I'm sure he'll be fine. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I'm glad that, uh, <laughs> like, who needs friends? Who needs enemies when they've got friends like you? And uh, the, so, as well, he's on the roof and they're like hanging on. And he's like, ah, like really struggling to hang on to the edge of the, um, 
of the wall and then he hears a scream coming in the asylum and then he just jumps over the fence ninja style <laughs> and he's like no problem i'm coming just leapfrogs the fred the, the the wall rather not the fence uh just like jumps up super strength the only thing that was missing from that jump is a front flip like he could have just done a couple of front flips power ranger style that would have really added to that scene <laughs> but i was like what the hell like that, what was the point in that five minute fight then absolutely none um <clears throat> the other girl i think the drummer in the band uh, i think she was called rapunzel she gets strangled in the bathroom and she's like oh, i just is that you darnell i just wanted a date like it's not a good kill at all it's pretty poor really poor actually um <clears throat> and jane who is Kristen davis's character so this is one of the this is actually probably the um the not the standout kill of the movie because that definitely goes to uh dennis's kill but probably the one that is the most famous one in this movie i would say the one that is sell, sold on the front of the arrow blu-ray is Kristen davis's kill and she basically thinks that he's a delusion for some reason she sees mike walking towards her and she thinks he's like this delusion because she's a psychiatry student she knows everything and in the end instead of running away this guy a deformed fucking maniac coming towards you with a buzz drill a power drill buzz saw whatever you want to call it and she just sits on the chair she's like sits on the chair waits for him to get there and then he basically drills through her through her head and it actually is a really good effect it's obviously an animatronic it's obviously not really kristen davis it's a but it's a pretty good looking animatronic to be honest with you and uh, like i said there's blood coming down it's blinking the mouth is moving it's not bad at all for a ninety thousand dollar b movie at all looks pretty damn good but i mean in terms of the character she was clearly asking for it because she did not run away you know if this was you in this situation you'd run away you wouldn't just fucking sit there and let this guy come to you uh but yeah i'd say this is the a really good kill from the cover of the blu-ray just excellent so these there's two kills really two and a half kills that are good in this movie We've had them both now. We've had Dennis and uh, and Jane. Really good stuff. Um, and Mike and Kiki, as I say, they're just terrible. They're just terrible, over-the-top actors. There's a scene in this movie as well where Mike is running to get Kiki. And the way the camera is, it's like... Um, try to describe it is where you can see like you know it's kind of like a scooby-doo kind of thing where you see him a little bit and then it pans onto the wall sees a little bit pans onto the wall sees a little bit pans onto the wall and he's running like really not in a the mike's running in this it's embarrassing honestly it's terrible terrible stuff mike and Keith. so that's the only thing as well like the best characters in the movie have been killed uh so we're just left with mike and kiki who really no one cares about they're absolutely awful <sighs> dear Dear me, dear me, dear me. And Mike and Kiki, they go to the church in the asylum and they pray. You're like, why? Just get out of there. And he's <laughs> another pun from uh, Mitch is like, amen, amen. It's like, amen, get the fuck out of there. Why are you praying in an abandoned asylum asylum when there's a killer on the loose? Oh, Jesus. <sighs> dear me, dear me, dear me, dear me right uh yeah the scenes of just this is the thing the scenes of just like 
Tina walking around on her own, scenes of Mike, uh, sorry, yeah, Mike and Tina, no, it's getting late, Mike and Kiki walking around the asylum on their own in no hurry, it's just like, come on man, let's just get on with this thing, let's just get on with this thing. Um, So Mitch eventually captures Mike and also captures Kiki and they basically, it's like, don't go anyway, ties her up. Um... Uh, what did he? Oh, yeah. There's another. I actually wrote this pun down. It's absolutely awful. And like the Mike says to Mitch, like, "You're that guy. You're that guy who killed those doctors ten years ago. How is this news? You know, he would have been six at the time. It's not like he's talking as if obviously in this movie it only happened like forty-five minutes ago. But like in real world, it happened ten years ago. Would this have been news? Probably not." Would a six-year-old be aware of this story? Probably not. Anyway, Mitch says, oh, I didn't even have uh, malpractice insurance. And he starts laughing. He's like, oh my God, absolutely awful. Um, Mike gets his toes cut off on screen. Pretty damn good effect, in my opinion. It's like one of them, you can clearly tell that they're cutting the fake toes Again, very Savini-esque, and there's blood popping out, very much like the burning and the finger, na- finger, finger. <coughs> sorry, finger chop off, kill. Uh, but it's pretty damn good, you know. Mike gets his toes cut off one by one, and Mitch is singing. Um, you know, this little piggy went to market, so that worked. Like that was the only thing in this movie that Mitch said that was disturbing, that fit well with the kill. Although I don't think getting your toes cut off would actually kill you. I think you would pass out from the pain, but I don't think you would die. Well, whatever. Um, but that was the only thing that actually made sense. Both of those things worked really well together. I was like, finally, we're getting puns. We're getting things that work with the kills on the screen. It's only happened to be the last kill of the damn movie, or the second to last one. Um, Mitch and Tina, they fight it out, and Tina gets the better of him. Beats the shit out of him, which is something I really like. One of my pet hates last week with Sleepwear Camp 2 was the fact that when Molly had Angela on the floor, she's like tapping her. Tina is beating the living shit out of this man. And in fact, on the spe- I keep bringing up the special features, but on the special features of this Blu-ray, uh, in the interview, actually, Mitch, the guy who's playing Mitch, uh, Mike Reagan, whatever he's called, uh, he didn't have the... Was it Mike? Michael Rogan. He didn't have the padding on correctly, so she was beating him with this stick for real, and he was battered and bruised, bless him. Um, so Kiki almost Kiki gets away, and Tina gets stuck in this machine, which for some reason, again, it's got electric. I suppose there's lights on in this area of the asylum. And there's this, like, machine that for some reason, like, is one of those machines that, like, you know, crushes everything into, like, a big box ship so she gets stuck in this machine and she gets turned into this big like cube of meat and the only thing left of her is a hand it's like oh my god it's so like i actually love that i loved how bad it was because it was just so over the top like this wouldn't happen obviously if this got if you if you'd be chopped up but you wouldn't come out a perfect cube of meat um especially after like well like five seconds in there but it looked pretty funny and i appreciated it for what it was definitely um 
so there's only Kiki left at this point, and um, so they get outside, and Mitch thinks Kiki is Judy, and he's like, I killed them all for you, I killed them all for you. It's kind of sad, really, because, you know, we kind of have this moment between Mitch and Kiki where she acknowledges the fact that he was the her mum's boyfriend and you know he really loved her and Mitch is obviously really upset he kind of understands that it's not Judy and it is actually the only bit of acting in this movie that actually half pulls on your heartstrings a little bit it's uh, very interesting how it how this scene plays out uh, and in the end she's like um you know I'm not what is she she goes I'm not Judy I'm not Judy and he's like Judy and he's like Okay, I'm Judy. (laughs) Very smart stuff. Very smart stuff. Uh, And Kiki kills him with the mother's mirror. She, like, uh, stabs him in the face loads of times. And it's actually funny because, again, bringing up the special features of this Arrow Blu-ray, there's an interview here with the special effects guy. Didn't even notice it myself. Um, But when you see this scene and you see Mitch's face and the blood's pouring out, you can actually see the tube behind him pushing the the fake blood out it looks actually couldn't believe i've missed it i mean i've only seen the movie twice but it took that interview to to point that out and so really that's just part of the movie magic when you think that you know he notices it and he admitted it for this blu-ray interview but i didn't notice it and i've seen it twice and i was writing damn notes at the time uh so that's pretty much the end of the movie really so strange ending basically kiki just walks off and um she's left mike for dead and she walks off so casually she walks off so casually and she's just like okay bye then and just walks off and you're like what the fuck's happening here like all your friends are dead you're not gonna phone the police i suppose there isn't a phone because it's 1987 she doesn't have a mobile but like it's like she's running away or trying to get help or screaming for help she's like okay I'm done. <laughs> and just walks off. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. I was like, holy shit. Um, we get another black and white scene, basically the ending of the Sweeney Todd movie. Um, and then that says the end. And then that is the end of the movie. Um, so overall, as I say, I would half recommend this movie. Um, if you're watching it at a party, if you're watching it high definitely for you i feel like if you're a slasher movie fan probably go and grab this blu-ray it's definitely worth the money and uh, it's i say if nothing else just something to add to your collection and to say that you've seen it i feel like it's worth i say eight pounds i paid for this last year so you could probably get this pretty cheap somewhere um i think hmv when they open they usually have like two for 15 pounds so that's like 750 um you can probably pick this up pretty cheap zavi in the uk have always got deals on these ones so yeah i mean it's worth checking out and i feel like you should watch it just for how bad it is it's it's hilariously bad but it is a fun time um especially if you're having some beers so definitely check it out overall rating for this one i would have to give it a generous five out of ten um which is probably probably the lowest score we've given a movie on this one but i'm not giving it a five out of ten because it's bad or because i hate it but i can't really in the grand scheme of things give it i mean i enjoy this i'm now part of the doom asylum club you know population probably a hundred <laughs> of the cult of doom asylum i am a fan of this movie now i really appreciate this movie but i can't in all honesty give it any higher than a five because it's mostly terrible um and a five is pretty generous really isn't it that's like 
half, so 50%. Um, but yeah, I would I would recommend it. I would definitely recommend it on those bi- on those reasons and that basis alone. So, to end the show this week, we're going to run through a little bit of trivia for the movie Doom Asylum. There is not a lot of trivia that I haven't already said. You know, I've kind of gone through quite a lot, actually, in this episode. Uh, it's gone on way longer than I expected to talk about Doom Asylum. Um, so we're going to go through a little bit of trivia, so let's go through it. So Ruth Collins, who plays Tina, was paid $100 to bear her breasts in this film. So I suppose everyone has a price, as Ted DiBiase always said. Um, but it's funny because she did actually say in her interview that she had it in her contract that she wouldn't get her boobs out because every movie she did, they asked her to get her boobs out. And in this particular one, she put in a contract that she wouldn't get them out because she wanted adverts for like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all these wholesome brands in the 80s. They didn't want to associate themselves with nudity and breasts and all that kind of stuff. So they discussed the money, she said, in the interview. And apparently that fee to get your tits out was $100. So fair play. I don't know how true that is. That That's on IMDb, so maybe it's true, maybe it's not. We'll, we'll say it anyway. Uh, the movie was shot on location in an actual abandoned sanitarium in Verona, New Jersey. The movie was shot in just eight days. I can believe it. I actually thought this movie would have been shot in one day. <laughs> like, when you watch this movie, you think this would have been shot in one day, maybe two days a max. So eight days is pretty generous. Uh, The band name seen sprayed on the walls are Led Zeppelin, Exodus, Ozzy Osbourne, Suicidal Tendencies, Black Sabbath, Pink Floyd and Wasp. Uh, The spray paint all over the asylum. And finally, so I said there wasn't many uh, trivia this week, the Essex Mountain Sanitarium, the film's location, opened its wards in 1907 with the last last patient being released in 1977 with the sanitarium officially closing its doors and ceasing all operations on the 1st of December 1982, the gates locked for the very last time and completely abandoned and was then demolished in the early 1990s with the remaining outlying buildings some 10 years later. So, interestingly, the asylum had only been closed for like five years before they filmed this movie. How crazy is that? Because the place looks a dump. Uh, I would imagine, actually, a lot of the things that are in there were actually things that were just left from the sanitarium days as well, like free props. So, yeah, it looks like it was a lot longer left than five years, so that's pretty damn interesting, if you ask me. Anyway, that wraps up this week's episode. Doom Asylum is in the bag. I had a hell of a lot of fun talking about this movie. I hope you've stuck with me to the end. If you have, you're a braver person than me. So thank you so much for sticking by and hope you enjoyed this episode as well. Talking about one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever watched in my life, Doom Asylum. Uh, We're going to do a couple of these kind of movies coming up as well. These really trashy B-movie ones, just for fun. uh, Because they're a good laugh to do. So let's do it. Why the hell not? not um next week on the show we're going to be doing the mutilator so another slasher classic from the 80s i really enjoy the mutilator so next week on the show we're going to do the mutilator um which was buddy cooper's you know slasher from was it 1986 1987 something like that 
mid mid eighties anyway, wasn't it? It was a, it's, a, it's oh, I love it. So we're gonna we're gonna do that one next week, the mutilator. Uh, if you haven't done so already, make sure to give us a like on Facebook slash Street Podcast on Facebook. Just search us on there. We're the first ones you can see. And wherever you're listening to us, if you have the function to leave us a review, please, please do. It would mean the absolute world. So if you have time, do leave us a five-star rating. That would be incredible. Uh, If you have even more time, please do write us a review. Get it on there. I'd love to read you guys' feedback who are listening to the show. Really would appreciate it. So if you have the time, please do do that. Um, That would be awesome. Uh, But in the meantime, everyone, that is this week's episode done. I hope you've all had a great time. Thank you so much for joining me. My voice is crooked. I need to go to bed because I've been up so long today. (laughs) Get some sleep. I will see you all next week when we cover the mutilator. Have an awesome week, everyone. And in the meantime, there's only one thing left to do, and that is to stay scared. My eyes are deceiving me. What you see is real. What's done is done, and what I've done is right. It's the work of science. Yeah.